podcasts need money. They can't live on bologna sandwiches. Podcasts need money, and it comes from you. You. Credit to the Elms on that one. That was so amazing. 90s, 2000s Christian band. The I know Elms. the Elms. I don't know the song. Oh yeah, that was that was a like a track on like a just an EP. Like it was just a I don't know. That's I don't right. know why I know that. I know it. I mean, there's a lot of things from 90s Christian music that I don't know why I know that I do. So. Right, and I didn't even realize how apropos. It's perfect. That choice was for. It was very good our because we wanted today. we wanted to let <laughs> heathens know. Hi heathens. Hi heathens. We have a Patreon account. We don't talk about it a whole lot, but we're just going to say it real quick here at the beginning of this episode. And one of the things we learned from our wonderful guest today is that if you don't ask, you don't get. That's true. And like we're bad at asking. Super. Bad. I'm really bad. I never ask for it. I hate asking people for things. I like to pretend like I have everything I need all of the time. Mm, yep. Guys, mm-hmm. that's a lie. It's not true. <laughs> It's never true. It's never true. Don't believe it. <laughs> Don't believe it. Anyway, patreon.com slash heathen podcast. That's us. If you want to contribute to what we're doing, we'd love your support. Yeah. We have a couple people on there. Thank you to those folks who have joined us already. And we do intend to start ramping up um, Patreon um, exclusives for our Patreon donors when once we get to, you know, there's, there's like a critical mass that yeah. we want to hit. So... Yeah, and it's honestly like a cup of coffee, $1 a month, $3 a month. Yep. There's some good tiers in there, but your three bucks a month makes a huge difference on our end. It does. Um, it makes it so that we can sustain this and lean into it. And yeah, that's what we're looking forward to, it. leaning into We it. really want to be able to move away from some of the other stuff that we have to do to make up the money yeah. to do this and really be able to do some of the magic things we want to do here. Um, so there it is. Yeah, you can help. Patreon. Also, and? another salesy thing, but totally just at your whim. For you. Um, this is for you. Uh, we have a new store that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. It's called the Heathen Haberdashery. It's amazing. Hmm. Karen came up with that. It's so fun to see. And she built the whole store. It looks fantastic. Matthew did all of the design work. You always I did make some it design sound work. like I did the whole thing, but like you made all of the beautiful things. Whatever. It, the store looks gorgeous. And it's so fun because you get to. Choose the favorite logo or whatever that you like. We have logos. We have sayings from the podcast. Yep. All beautifully designed. What's the German word? <laughs> Vergangenheitsbewältigung. I just wanted you to have that. I have that on a experience. t-shirt now. I have that. I have that word on my chest when I walk around town because I bought it from the Heathen Haberdashery. Yeah. So that's available to you now. So Heathen merch. Check it out. It's um, on our website, heathenpodcast.com. Yeah. Plus, like, we want to brand you so that your friends are like, where did you get that really exactly. cool thing? And yeah. you're like, OMG, the Heathen Podcast. It's the best. It's the best the world. <laughs> Um, Lastly, another thing for you guys, uh, if you have not yet joined the Heathen Huddle, we love alliteration. Huddle up, heathens! <laughs> huddle up, heathens. It's our private secret Facebook group. We grew group. up in the evangelical church. Of course we love. Of course we do. I mean, did you not have like, oh, your church didn't. My church had the, other people will have had this experience with the Sunday morning thing where like you had a little like fill in the blank thing that came with the sermon. What? Oh yeah, I am guarantee you I'm not the other church. So it was like to take notes. They would hand out, like it'd be in your little church program, there would be like a thing to take notes and there would be blanks that you could fill in as the pastor. It'd help you pay attention. Oh geez. So no. like no, you're the answers to... would be revealed to you. Yeah. Yours is, <laughs> your experience is quite different here, but I bet you there are other people who have had this. No, cause I have visited other churches and I do kind of think I yeah. know what you're talking about. Like the little programs, right? right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then there'd be like a little, like, it's like a Mad Lib and you have to fill in the thing yeah. as he gets to each point. But almost every time, like if the first one began with D, the next three 
points would also begin with uh, D. Okay. So if you're me, you just spend the entire sermon trying to predict what the next one is going to be. And so hence the obsession now with alliteration. Like that's literally the root. That's where it was born. That's what's up. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, jump in the huddle, you guys. That's all we're saying. Um, it's on Facebook. Send us an email, askheathen at gmail.com. Uh, you can be part of the conversation that happens after these episodes air. Folks who listen to this thing like to share links, share thoughts. Yeah. Um, and it's a great, safe place Yeah, for you that. can come yell at us there if you want to, too. You can totally. Nobody's like, done that yet. If you have something that you're I know, angry I'm about. I'm waiting for the first person to, like, get... Uh, we got... We've been challenged a couple times, but no one's, like, been mad yeah, at what we've said. Bring it on. Like, we're... Bring it on. Like, we're, we're correctable. We, are, we will listen to yeah. you. We will push back if we feel pushback is warranted. Agreed. But, yeah, we'll take it. Anyway, the huddle. That's what's up. Hey, Karen... Hey. Who, who is our amazing, wonderful, oh special God. guest today? I'm so excited. She was the best. She was the best. She is, was like, is the best. Yeah, she is the best. But like that conversation, like, you know how like, you know, you have an idea of somebody because you like, you listen to their music, you know who they are, you blah, blah, blah. But then like you talk to them and you're like, oh God, and I just like you. Mm-hmm. I just also like you. Yep. Like if I just met you independently of all of the work you have created, God, I would just like you. Yeah. That's how I feel about Jennifer now. A good hang. Yeah. She's great. Um, and oh man, like a million, also when writers talk, like a million brilliant little, yes. just tiny things throughout this conversation yeah. that you guys are going to love. I think I will be, and hopefully you guys will be too, um, guys and gals and beautiful non-binary people, will also be um, re-listening to this one over and over again. Because yeah, there's just things that are going to... Taking notes. Yeah, we oh we should create the <laughs> we should create the sermon notes for this podcast so that folks can fill I it in. As they I have listen. to go celebrate my birthday over oh, the next couple of days. Right. You can't give me homework. Happy um, birthday to Karen! Thanks. Um, but we should do that. One someday we'll make that. This is my solemn vow, Ethan. It'll happen. This is my solemn vow. We'll make you a Mad Lib. Here comes the episode because I think we're out of things to say now, right? Podcasts need money. We can't live on floating sandwiches. Spiritual conversations for the godless. I'm Matthew Blake. And I'm Karen Thurston. Welcome to Heathen. Heathens, welcome to another episode. So excited for today. We're very excited. <laughs> Super excited. Uh, because on the line with us is none other than Jennifer Knapp. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, <laughs> good to see you guys. <laughs> good to see you. Like we haven't just been talking for 10 minutes, figuring out what we're going to do here. It's um, all smoke and mirrors anyway, right? Yeah, it's it, fun. Right? It is. It's an illusion. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for agreeing to this. We really appreciated it. Um, I tagged you in a photo on social media, <laughs> rudely putting it out in the world and like kind of <laughs> holding you accountable to the masses, which was so not fair, but thank you very much for doing it anyway. <laughs> no, actually it's, I make a lot of my podcasts through uh, connections through Twitter. Do and, you? Yeah. And I think it was my mom who said like, I'm going to sound like a Southerner or something. My mom always said, <laughs> if you don't ask, you don't get, you know? So it's kind of like, you can so ask true. me anything. It's just what, what comes on the other end of it. But if you don't ask, you don't get it. So I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. Well, Karen has been good about getting me to ask because I'm, I'm I'm more of the wallflower. I'll just like whatever comes to me, I'll take what comes to me. But 
Karen's really good. You're, you're a go-getter. I'm the pressure. I don't actually do the go-getting. I just pressure you to go get, which is great. I just manipulate you. I'm like, hey, you know, you really should do this. And then I reap the benefits. That's why it works, I think. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's a good system that we have here. Yeah. So, uh, heathens, uh, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and assume that most of you probably know the name Jennifer Knapp pretty well because we all come from similar places. But in case you don't, um, Jennifer, we're going to let you introduce yourself, but obviously you... Uh, are a uh, a musician, a artist. Uh, you've been around for quite a while. You had a little break, came back, uh, had some news. It's been quite a journey to watch and witness as a fan and uh, someone who appreciates your music. Um, I was telling you earlier, I I grew up with your records being a very key part of my high school college experience. Saw you in concert quite a few times. Myself, it was a big deal when you came back to the scene and uh, took on that mantle, uh, that very public <laughs> uh, way that you came out and said, "Hey, like, we got to talk about this in the in a spiritual context, in the church context, uh, what it means for Christianity." So um, we're gonna go to all those places and hopefully more. So uh, Jennifer Knapp, would you like to uh, let us know who you are? Sure. Um, I think with the timeline, the the timeline of what I do, I'll just try and put like the the intersectional version of it. Um, so I, I started doing um, uh, Christian music in the early '90s. Uh, I got signed with Goatee Records in around about 1996. Um, I put three records out inside of the Christian music industry. One of them, famously known as uh, or it was my first record called Kansas. It went gold. Yeah. Uh, subsequently, I got a couple of Grammy nominations in that. Fast forward to 2002, and I was pretty much burnt out, sick of it, pissed off, angry, scared, suicidal, all of that. Yeah. Uh, took about a seven-year, what ended up being about a seven-year break. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought I'd quit music, um, but around 2008, personally, I decided I would start writing again by 2010. I released my new record, uh, one of my, what I call career 2.0. Since then, (laughs) I've released three records, uh, and basically in mainstream market. I've been playing in pubs pubs and clubs around the States. But um, also, uh, with coming back to music, I also came out. So in 2010, um, you know, when I started to, to do music again, the Christian following was really excited after this long break to hear from me. Yeah. And I was, the, I'd then been with my partner for several years. I was living back in Nashville and it just seemed like the right thing to be, to do, to not, I like, I wasn't, I'm, I didn't want to hide my sexual orientation. It wasn't a secret, um, in my daily life. And it just seemed like Plus, I knew I knew that there was going to be a contingency of Christian music fans um, and just Christians, period, who who would would if they knew my sexual orientation, 
um, would not want to support the music that I wanted to do. Mm. And so I felt like there was a real responsibility I had to be upfront about that in a strange way. Mm. Um, even like when I started to do music um, and started to record again, uh, Christian retailers were calling me wanting to, to put the record out. And I'm like, you're not probably going to want to do that because <laughs> I'm gay. And, you know, I would have been really glad if people had said, oh, that's not a problem for us. But um, so it was a disclosure thing for me that I felt was really important um, to talk about uh, that journey. So, mm. you know, again, that was a, a moment in, in time that then created this kind of new uh, storyline in my public life. Uh, I got some pretty major interviews. This kind of blew up on a national level. Um, and, you know, as a Christ, as a former Christian musician and as a Christian, I was saying, you know, why can't I be gay and Christian? And I'm doing it and deal with it. And <laughs> I'm going to go and do the things that are, are my gifts and my passions in life. And mm. um, the result of that is, you know, kind of fast forward several years later, I ended up in divinity school at Vanderbilt University. I now have my master's in theology, uh, theological studies. I started a nonprofit organization for faith advocacy and uh, LGBTQ affirmation and inclusion, and I'm still doing records. So that's that's about 20 years in a nutshell of my Dang. little story. That was a great nutshell. That is a really good nutshell. <laughs> Solid. Well done. It's a really big walnut, I think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's crack it. Uh, <laughs> um, can we... You've you wrote a gorgeous memoir, which is sitting over there on the table. Um, oh, I forgot to mention. Yeah, I got to write a book. Isn't yeah, that great? It's it's so so good. It's the kind of memoir like you buy it because you you love the person. You want to know who they are, and then you actually like the, you are an incredible writer. I freaking love your voice. Um, so, heathens, if you have not read Facing the Music yet, please 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 get that. Um, I don't want to. You know, you put a lot of work into the book, so I'm not asking you to rehash, you know, your whole life history. But we do love to get like a context of where people are coming from in their spiritual background, how they grew up, that kind of thing. I'm wondering if there's maybe another version of the nutshell um, where we could do a little dive into your spiritual history. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, well, I'll, I'll step off the book a little bit. I mean, I think one of the one of the things that happened after I came out and my sexual orientation became a mag- uh, my sexual orientation became became a matter of public discussion um i think there were a lot of i felt as a person there was a lot of steps skipped over and um and not only that but just too much focus on one thing um Mm. and so when i i sat down to write the book i kind of i didn't want to write a book about coming out necessarily i wanted to write a book about what my life had been like and what my journey had been up to that point um that kind of I guess even maybe for some bits of myself, like how did I get here and what has shaped the decisions that I've made or shaped the personality that I have um, and how I'm approaching the life that I have. And to me, it's been so complex. I mean, I grew up in a rural, like, I, I think that's a fascinating thing. When you ask me who I am, you know, somebody asked me who I am, you know, people will say a musician or people will say a lesbian or people will say a Christian. Yet at the same time, and I think this is one of the things I tried to work into the book is I'm a lot of things. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm a female who grew up in rural Kansas. I'm a female who had a strange cultural experience from going in, you know, from mainline kind of middle America. Everybody believes in God, but not everybody goes to church to drinking the Kool-Aid of, 
of commercial Christianity to mm. strangely becoming one of like, you know, being neck deep in the commercial part of that and having to yeah. deal with those consequences. And then coming out by the time you get to that point in this book. And by the time I got to that point in my life, I was like, there is so much here more than that. And is informing my journey. And this is, you know, that's the, kind of the beginning of a new story or a new, new journey, but we still come with all of this with us and the memory of those things are kind of building and, and, and working into that. And I, for me, that always circles around to my art and my creativity. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a fun thing to be able to have that life and that journey and to contemplate it and think about it and work through it and then become a storyteller of those kinds of experiences. And, you know, that's, that's how I end up in podcasts from like, why would anyone <laughs> want to talk about <laughs> me? And I, I don't necessarily feel like it's, it's me as much as just, you know, having a story that we've kind of learned how to curate and, and tell and be and show, have the willingness to share. So yeah. it's it's a strange little thing to do for a, a profession, but it ends up being mine. It's it's not just being, you know, for me, it's not just music and and coming out and LGBT advocacy or, or religion. It's it's just the whole picture of trying to see what all of these things um how, you know, how I get to live all of those things when they get put into one pot, this is the life that I end up living. And I'm trying to be as honest about that and, and enjoying it as much as I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That must've been just wild. Um, going like, like your, your mention about growing up in middle America where, you know, belief in God is common. Maybe church culture isn't as common. And, and then like tra- a very pretty rapid transition to being like such a, figurehead for that culture and the, like the 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 money side of that culture you know like how like so many people are their careers are in that world so I did you did, I, I, it, I fully intended to reread this before talking to you because I read it when you first released we'll, it we'll and, just make stuff up I'm fine yeah. with that great yeah but I feel like um I'm remembering that you weren't uh you did you weren't raised super religious is that right you had a grandparent maybe yeah, no, I, yeah, no, sound Aussie there. Yeah, uh, yeah no, yeah. Um, no, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, no, like, <laughs> I, I grew up, you know, going to a little country church, uh, occasionally uh, Easter's and Christmases, and my grandmother prayed at every meal. And, yeah, when I was a little kid, my grandmother used to put me in pantyhose and send me off to Sunday school. And it was part of, I think I went to a couple of vacation Bible, you know, week-long summer camps, you know, or things like that. Like, I was familiar with that. Um, but when I got to college and had basically as an evangelical, so when we talk about evangelical Christianity, right, you're, what, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's it's a moment in time, right, where you say, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. That's pretty mm-hmm. much like the gateway, right, for every evangelical is mm-hmm. that you make a confession for Christ, whether regardless of whether or not you know what that means Hmm. at the time or even 20 years later I did that and uh, there was something in the Christian faith that I was incredibly intriguing to me uh massively uh, it was a massive paradigm shift in understanding the value of myself Mm -hmm. in the eyes of divinity um and that that was the yeah, it was it was just a, a massive shift. Mm. It was so strange to me. I never expected any of that to happen because I thought, oh, everybody believed 
where I grew up, everybody believed in God. And uh, I actually spent most, like most of my teenage years trying to not like trying to not believe in God. I think like mm. I would like all my anger and frustration and, and doubts and just kind of looking into it actually ended up in a place that was so ironic to me to go, no, I actually want to find more out about this faith. And it was, yeah, so it was a really interesting shift because I, I thought everyone where I lived w- believed in God and then I was just doing what everyone else was doing and not, you know, like it was a sincere decision for me, but I didn't realize it was such an upgrade in gears to a whole other level and a whole other culture. And so I was mm-hmm. quite shocked when I got there. Like I was shocked from people that I'd grown up with who I thought were Christians. And now all of a sudden the Christians that I was with were telling me the Christians that I grew up with weren't Christian. Yeah. And you know, so it's really strange. And I, I think, like, even interestingly enough, I think on my uh, my Wikipedia page, which, by the way, I'm not allowed to edit. Uh, <laughs> some, somebody what, do you, wrote, what do you need done? We can we can help. I know, right? Like, everybody can touch it but you. Like, right. <laughs> just, you, you know, send us an email. Facebook page that everybody got to curate for you. Like, it would be so weird. That, that so gives me wild. anxiety just imagining. Yeah, like but, can't. like, somewhere somebody wrote... And, and it's now on the Wikipedia Wikipedia page that I grew up in an irreligious family. And huh. I just think that's a strange thing to write um, yeah. of anyone, unless it's a family that's trying to like actually like make decisions to not be religious. And yeah. that's an active choice culturally for that family. Right. But a religious would have at least been closer to the truth or like mm. unaware or, so I don't know, like, but it's so weird that line. And I think that's when I started to get a clue that evangelical Christianity that I was experience, experiencing, the deeper I got into that, I started to realize was a, a strange, strangely a whole new kettle of fish into what um, I'd grown up with, even though it was the kind of the same language, the same Bible, the same cross, the the kind of, you know, the same, we met the same time on Sundays, but um, what we talked about and and how we lived and the expectations of that were wildly different. And that was a massive culture shock for me. ambitions to be a musician uh sing in the church like or did you oh god no yeah I was gonna say how did you walk into that (laughs) nope yeah no I love that question because I think the assumption oftentimes for musicians right is that we all just want to be rock stars and right dream every hour of the day of doing everything possible to do that I I didn't um I I was a musician um before I became a Christian uh, that was a little bit of sarcasm. Um, uh, I was a musician uh, and went to college as a classical brass player, a trumpet player. Um, uh-huh. And then after I became a Christian, I, I started uh, playing guitar and my friends were like, oh, you should play 
you should write some songs about, you know, Christian stuff because For whenever Jesus. I would play songs like the Indigo Girls or the Cowboy Junkies or R.E.M. or something mm. like that, my friends were like, oh, no, 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 you can't play secular music anymore. And I was like, uh, uh. what? You have to use your talent for the kingdom. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so I started to, I started, but I mean, in a, in a kind of a good way, like just, it was just somebody planted a seed and said, you know, write about this process that you're going through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was one of the most, it was an amazing thing to, to do that. I So, I, like the record Kansas for me, and I think one of the reasons why so many people have, have gravitated to that record, especially uh, people who are, you know, seriously contemplating and Christianity is like, I, I don't know. It was just that those were basically like journal entries. They were just the really mm. raw experience of growing up and, and dealing with the culture shock, but being serious about why I was entertaining Christianity and why it was important to me and what that emotional journey was like. So no, I didn't have any aspirations at all. I just, you know, I would write a song, I'd play it to my friends, and they, those friends would go, oh, that's a cool song, you should play it in church. And so I'd stand up at church and I'd play that, and, you know, a college town, college kids would go home and go, you should come and play a concert at my church. And mm. then coffee houses were happening in the 90s, and it just, that thing happened within, like, a really quick couple of years. And before I knew it, I was signed to a record deal without having any idea that there was a Christian music industry what it meant to be in the Christian music industry, what it meant to make records. I, I really had no idea. I just, I really enjoyed being able to connect and do that. But the fact that I'm here 20 years later and still doing it just really freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. Um, I, I love Kansas a lot, um, but my favorite record is definitely Letting Go. It, it's like... I come, I come back to that record oh, a lot. Right. Sorry, cool. we, have, we have a dog in the background. She barks sometimes. Um, <clears throat> she's a regular guest on Heathen. Um, yeah, the, so for, for me, the very first, uh, like just hearing your voice again when that record came out, because yeah, like you said, it had been seven years of silence. Although I, I did, I was like the guy who would go internet stalk the people. I, I'm like, what, where is she? What's going on? And I did, I found, I oddly found a couple forums that were like chattering about like your sexuality. Like people were making assumptions about it long before yeah. um, you can't, you return to the scene. But I just remember that, that line in uh, Dive In, I think the chorus, um, I'm so tired of standing on the edge of myself. I'm just ready to do this. Like, let's dive in. Yeah. I feel like that's been a lot of like since you come back to you know the public eye um you've been really intentional about taking your story uh making it known um the inside out foundation i mean what what has been driving you in your return to music yeah. i guess uh, intentional is a really great um headline for it i think i mean it, it, it links for me like to to stepping away for a long time like when I stepped away in 2002 I did not feel in control of my fate 
Um, I felt like I was beholden to everybody else without really knowing why. Um, it, it's that's maybe not the best way to say it, but mm. I just I felt used. I didn't feel like yeah. I was a participant in in my own story and in my own journey. Basically, mm. I felt like I you know everything that I had to do was because everybody else was relying on me to do it, and I felt like I'd lost a, a bit of myself in that. I, and for that reason, music became incredibly threatening to me, like to participate mm. with music. And so it took me really all of that seven years to get up the courage to pick up a guitar. Cause like mm. I said, like it was kind of a strange thing. The experience that I'd had is that if I write a song and then I share it and then somebody wants to hear it. And then that becomes a public thing. Like I knew that sharing be like I'd, I've had an experience where sharing is a very public act that I understood now that it had consequences, not just for others, but it had serious consequences for my life mm-hmm. as well. And that it created opportunities for me to have to say yes or no to. And, and for me, like the point, the point of kind of opening the guitar case or the, the Pandora's box is, you know, my willingness to do that again was very intentional in 2010. Like, I knew that if I was going to play music again, I was probably going to, not probably, I was going to have to come out. I knew that that would have consequences to that. Um, I didn't know what those consequences would necessarily be. I mean, you can, you know, right, you can pre-think some of those, um, but you really don't know until you do it. Um, but that was kind of one of the initial things that I said is like, listen, if, if I play, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to have to talk about my sexual orientation. And so then I had to decide as an individual, was I healthy enough to do that? Because mm-hmm. it's a profession that I'm willing to, to stay. And am I willing to be in public with this knowledge? And am I going to be in a space where, for me, I thought, you know, I wanted to be able to answer the question, am I willing to be responsible for what I'm about ready to do? Um, and, I think that's just kind of a way of shaping like what I've been doing the last eight years. You know, I had no idea that I was going to get as far into public advocacy, but that was like the next step. Right. So when, again, a kind of intentionality churches would ask me to come play and I'd be like, well, as a musician, that actually doesn't make sense anymore because I'm cussing a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm playing songs about romantic relationships and not necessarily talking specifically about Christianity anymore. So if I'm going to come and I was pissed off at the church. So I'm like, if if you're going to, if I'm going to come into the sanctuary, I'm going to come in with the story that I've got. And I'm, I'm not going to manipulate that anymore to fit into what you want. I'm going to see if I can bring this story into our faith environment and see if we as a community and a faith community can then deal with this, because that's all I ever wanted, I think, and mm-hmm. you know, coming out of the first years of my 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 experience inside of Christian music, I felt like that was kind of the thing that that music and and sharing all these stories with everybody that we fans is a terrible word, but it, you know, I go out and play shows and we all talk. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I build up relationships with people out on the road, and the narrative that I feel like a lot of us as that kind of church had collectively shared is. Yeah, our spirituality means something to us, but we're not always trying to to go into like squeeze it through the church door. What we're trying to do is bring our lives into our faith community, and t- because we take our faith seriously, try and evaluate what's going on. So then, as we proceed, we can know 
and be prepared to be able to kind of share, you know, create and mold our lives into that in a particular way. So I think that just led to the next step. So, you know, the advocacy work that I do, it was, again, it was like an, an intentional step of saying, listen, if I'm going to be in the faith community, um, and I have a role to play, this is the role that I'm willing to play. And it's going to have to deal honestly with LGBTQ issues. Um, it's going to have to deal with the fact that I swear every once in a while and that I doubt heavily sometimes and I'm critical sometimes and I'm deeply moved and passionate about it. So mm -hmm. all those things kind of come to a head and I like intentionality. It, it's, it suits my midlife, I think, with the... <laughs> challenges my you know my middle age at this point to be responsible to it which i think that's a big difference between career 1.0 and 2.0 um is the kind of the age factor right that you know when you're young and 20 you think you bounce every time you don't get something right and i don't bounce yeah. as high anymore so, I love um, that. but taking the responsibility of that and i think that's something that um, it's strangely a legacy of, of my faith is being willing to be responsible and intentional in, uh, you know, in being in that public space. Mm. I love it. I love women when we hit the age of, I am out of fucks to give like that moment, because I think women spend the first, you know, solid 30 years of their lives, just like desperately, a lot of us, I mean, obviously not all women, but uh, desperately trying to be an appealing package to the world and doing the kind of this commodified thing and that breaking point of like, no, like this is, I either have to show up as myself for this or I'm just not interested. Like I'm out of interest of for doing anything where I can't wholly be there. I think that's world changing. Yeah, it, and it's a strange thing. Like if you've done that a few times, uh, you know, if you, you know, you prepare yourself for a few times and you go, how long can I maintain this? Right. I think it's probably more of the question for me. And I, and even like as a, yeah, as a, as a woman, I think that's probably, I, I love that you mentioned that because I think that's probably one of the things that's, that's played a, a significant part in that. My, as a woman, all, you know, all of my energies have been, I don't know. It's easy to be aware of how much people are kind of anticipating you to always mm -hmm. show up with makeup to kind of, I mean, that's like a stereotype, right? That you'll always be dressed up for the part that you'll Presentable. always be the weight that you'll always be kind and smiling, you know, uh, you know, whatever, whatever those kind of like little tropes on are those, those are the superficial things, but underneath mm -hmm. that, that, that really grates into you this idea of like how can I sustain trying to like where is myself in all this like who mm. do I want to be how do I want to do it like what are the things that I actually have the bandwidth energy and strength to maintain and at the end of the day I'm like that's me and sometimes that me doesn't come with makeup and it's you're like you said you're out of fucks to give I've and it's 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 hard to explain that that's not rebellious yeah. to a system, but the, it's actually an act of courage that it takes in yes. maintaining the care of yourself and to say, listen, I actually want to be prepared to be the human being that I want to be in public and with you and with the people that I love and they care about. How do I do that long term? And mm. I have to eat meat. Like, <laughs> For me, that's part I of need, it. I need food for crying out loud. I need food but I mean, that's a whole, whole, you know, I'm, that's being funny about it, but that, you know, in other ways, like I need to be, you know, as an LGBTQ person, you know, as a lesbian, like I needed to be able to engage my faith in a way that was meaningful to me. Yeah. And 
I broke the stereotypes of that. And that's something, like talking about intersectionality, right? That's something my experience as a woman, I feel like, informed part, that experience in part prepared me to be able to say, oh, I know what that's like. I know mm-hmm. what it's like to say, this is what I am here. This is the way I need to talk about it. Not disrespectfully, but like earnestly. Like if I'm going to make any gr- ground here, any progress or maintain my sanity, I'm going to have to be honest about my circumstances. Right. Um, and that happens to me as a, as a woman musician, as a professional, uh, just, you know, regardless of gender, um, in my faith communities. Um, that, that thing transfers over a wide host of areas that to me is relatively universal. I think we all understand a little bit of what it's like to, to go to be challenged by how to deal with our authentic selves in competition with somebody who's trying to conform you versus understanding that I think somewhere inside of us, we're always trying to better ourselves. So that's the strange thing, right? About change is that I'm 40 years old. Like, I don't think I'm a bad person. I'm really happy with who I am, but I'm still inspired to be a better person tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So it's that weird thing about change. It's like the stick and the carrot. Like, and how do you balance that without going insane or um, deprecating yourself or, overreaching and thinking that you deserve something that's that's not realistic for your ability to sustain so i don't know it's it's a fascinating subject i write about it for you know in my music pretty much all the time I love what you said about that not being a rebellion, not being an act of rebellion, just showing up authentically as yourself in life is not an act of rebellion. It's just showing up as your authentic self. But like, how fascinating is it that we live in a world where like for a woman or, you know, for someone who identifies as queer in a commercial Christian situation, like for anybody who doesn't look like the cookie cutter, right? arriving as yourself is categorized as an act of rebellion, I think is that's, that's the irony of Christianity, isn't it? That this strange thing, the apostasy for you'd mentioned that before, Matthew, like kind of this strange, like what, what is it? What is it? So why do you become like, you, you know, why is it apostasy when I say this is what, you know, I walk in the church doors and say, this is what I've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to take anything away from the courage that that takes because in the environment, many environments, it takes a hell of a lot of courage That's to make so that much. move. Yep. Um, yet what you get immediately confronted with is being a rebel, you know, being a rebellious personality for having done that yeah. at the same time, it is an act of rebellion <laughs> against conformity right. which is a strange thing about what i think christian like the strange irony of what christianity presents us with is that perfection is 
idealized to, you know, moral perfection, spiritual perfection, that, that is something that we idealize at the same time. Like, how do you balance that out with understanding the impossibility of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it becomes an act of rebellion somewhere there in kind of some really strange ways. Yeah. In some ways, okay. yeah, the, you need to be rebellious. I, I needed to. From In my story, I absolutely needed to go to that place at a point in my journey. Because my whole life I had been exactly that same, same thing. I had been told... Your actions are rebellious, Matthew. Your, your attitude is rebellious. Your behavior, the things you're leaning into, that's all rebellion and it's wrong. But what you just said, Jennifer, exactly, it, it, it's just me coming as myself. It's just me bringing who I am and what I have to this story. So when you spend, for me, 25 years uh, believing that all of those inclinations that are just self waking up, bringing self, all of those inclinations are sin, or rebellion against God. I mean, the weight of that is so heavy that, I mean, there was for me that period of time where I just had to flip that switch and say, fuck it. I am, I will rebel. <laughs> right. that if that, if that, if that's what I have to do to be me in this All world, right, I'll go to hell. I will. I was, I was totally prepared to take, take that on. Yeah, I, anyway. and I, I think that to me is like, was a real turning point to that. I started to realize that rebellion isn't a sin. Like it's, it's the it's a strange thing. There's one thing to like rebel against God, that that's you know to deny or to to like I I can actively rebel my parents in ways you know that are sinful or didn't I've been rebelled against my own self in in ways that are denying you know mm-hmm. the natural course of where I should be or the 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 more beneficial course that I could take. But I I think. It's that's the that's that's a tricky thing for of, of what I'm trying to think is that that switch of the messaging that that takes rebellion and makes it full stop. Um, those who call rebellion sin are basically trying to, to manipulate and control yeah. at a certain point where rebellion against what is um, unholy, rebellion against what is. Uh, morally wrong or hurtful to other people in society it's called for it like there's a certain point where you have to go i have to put up the courage here i have to say no or i have to say yes but for some i I think that's like to me like that's a that's the strange thing and the the worrisome thing that i started to appreciate about um christianity you know some 15 years ago was that when i said hey hold on a second here you know, you're telling me to be, as a woman, perhaps, I would say, you're telling me to be quiet here mm-hmm. when I'm saying that some, an injustice is happening to me <laughs> as a human being, and you're telling me that I'm not allowed to speak, and that I'm being rebellious. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like, there is really something wrong with that. And I think that, you know, travel on to coming out, I think that's the challenge, right, for a lot that a lot of people in the queer community experiences you're rebelling against God, this this expression that you have to talk about the experience that you've had and trying to talk about gender issues and sexual orientation is an act of rebellion because it's it's actually, you know, it takes courage to speak to the conformity that's actually damaging and hurting people within our faith communities. Mm. Like, call, and that's, and I'm with you, Matthew. I was at a point where I was like, seriously, fuck it. Like, if that's a sin, then call it a sin because I can't, the other part's in, unsustainable for me. That will crush me and that will kill me. And I have to figure out what the source of my life is. And if I'm not allowed to proceed in that, this the inevitable end is 
going to be destruction. So I'm going to choose a path that I hope actually brings life. And I don't know, like not all, like, I don't know, I guess the summary of that is like, right? Not all rebellion is sin. Yes. Rebellion is a very holy thing. And I think Christ was a pretty good example of that at times. That did you catch like as as Ooh. you were just talking and you were saying like you you've said to me this but I am telling you this like did you catch that <laughs> I did actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. we Matthew's been coming back to that language like you've heard it said but I tell you but I say to you like quoting Jesus right like yeah. he, he has been coming back to that a lot lately but like that is in summary Jesus entire posture right like it, really is. it is a posture of sort of loving rebellion mm-hmm. against the status quo and like so i mean if we're gonna throw out rebellion we also have to throw out the new testament <laughs> essentially <laughs> so cool good luck with that commercial christianity sin the the definition of sin i used to think maybe it was too broad in in the context of like evangelical christianity and now it's just like actually it was too narrow in a way because you're ignoring all of the sins that we commit against ourselves when we when we force ourselves into that cookie cutter shape into the box that is expected of us. And that is a crime, man. That is such a crime against our bodies, our souls. Um, and it take, ends up taking years and years to unpack when you come out of it. Uh, man, I just, I love that. I love that so much. No, you just like preached a sermon to me. Thank yeah, you. That it. was really beautiful. <laughs> well, and again, like just to acknowledge the courage and that, like even back at the beginning of this conversation, when you were talking about, you know, Christian bookstores approaching you and actually having the integrity to come back to that and say, look, you know, like actually, because I feel like the whole, that undermines the system in this beautiful way, because we've got a system that's built around like conceal and correct, you know, like mm. these are the things you do. You don't, you don't like lead with your like, here's the thing you're not going to like about me. That's like, oh God, like we put that away. Um, Aren't those the, the names of makeup products too? Like, <laughs> oh my God, the patriarchy. We Concealing Yikes. correct, right? Yikes. Look, wow. Don't tell me the woman don't know. <laughs> Wow, that like I I have some work to do around that Uh-oh. right now. Uh-oh. Like that, I've got like a Maybelline blog I'm, post coming. I'm wearing coming concealer right now too. I know. Don't well, worry. concealer, don't get me wrong. <laughs> concealer is my friend, <laughs> um, but uh. but still, yeah. But like just that, like the bravery in that knowing, you know, knowing the consequences of that. Like I just that's it's world changing shit. Mm-hmm. Like it's beautiful. Um, yeah, I think like one of the, one of the like world changing, right? The paradigm shift for me in in when I first became a Christian. Oh, I even hate that language to this day. I've, it's been twenty years. I'm trying to still find a new way to say that. Um, the blood. But it was is a massive paradigm shift. That, but the reason the reason that such a par- that I experienced such a paradigm shift was because I, I truly I not only. I would say like, first off, I entered in because I wanted to believe Mm. that it was possible that as a human being with all the flaws and all of the discontent and uh, insecurity that I had in my life, that I wanted to believe that what I was was sufficient Mm. and worthy of being loved. And that sounds so remedial to me. And yet, uh, I just, I don't know any other way to, to say that. Yeah. And to become exposed to the gospel, and another word that I always kind of weird out in saying, that what the gospel meant to me at that time was that that was, that was already true. 
Mm. And it was always already true that I was a created, loved, adored, precious human being. Mm. And that life is precious, right? That all of us in our circumstances and I don't know, like for whatever reason, I, I didn't just want to believe that when, when I accept. So for me, sometimes what I wonder is what did I accept that day? And I, I still think part of that narrative is what I accepted that day was an idea that, you know, there, I was indestructible in that way. Like the value of my created being was absolutely indestructible from any other human being. Like, Mm. And that's not to say that I haven't taken some seriously hard blows, that I haven't seriously wanted to de- destroy myself. But to me, those that's where sin, like that that began to kind of really create an understanding for me about what, what sin was. Mm-hmm. The offense that, that we can take against human being and holding on to that truth. So was it just that I'd had sex out of, outside of, you know, so I went through all of those things, right? Like, was it that I had sex outside of marriage that was a sin? I was like, I kind of looked at it differently. I was like, no, like the sin was like, I didn't value myself. I didn't value the other person. I didn't value what this meant to like human healthcare. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, a wide variety of things. I, I, I participated in behaviors that were self-destructive, that not only, you know, were crimes against my own welfare, but cr- I used other people to do that. You know, I can say fuck all that I want. I don't think that that's a sin unless I say it, you know, directed towards somebody. Right. I'm starting to do something destructive toward life, toward mm. value and dignity and love and you know, I'll, I'll, all of a sudden, you know, that really changed the way that that I looked at what what good and bad was. Like, what what generates life and what doesn't is like always the place that I start with when I'm trying to contemplate. You know, is this thing a sin? Um, I just don't. I just don't know that. You know, I'm not an absolutist. I don't think you know when we talk about those kinds of things that you can write down a list and say always. I think some things probably hit, there are some things on that list that'll hit 99% of the time and you go, okay, <laughs> you know, that's pretty convincing data right there. But there's also stuff, there's also stuff that, you know, like Paul said, you know, not, not everything is, what is it? Not everything is, um, per- permissible. Everything's, permissible. Uh, everything's beneficial, yes. but not everything's beneficial. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that made sense. And I felt like even, even though that I hadn't been to, to divinity school all those years ago and kind of having that experience, when I read that text, it made me understand, oh, yeah, I'm not so far off the mark. But then, you know, you do something weird like uh, one time I was, I, was at a, I was at a restaurant somewhere and I was drinking a glass of wine and, with my dinner and somebody came up um, and said, knew who I was mm-hmm. and had brought her kids alongside with me and, and gave me a talking to about how it was such a sh- an utter disappointment of a Christian because she saw that I had a glass of wine on my table wow. and she gave me a dressing down. I was probably, you know, in my early twenties at the time and she gave mm. me a dressing down and I went to the bathroom and cried. Mm. And, but at the same time, I was just like thinking, man, that's, that's what you're going to pick because I've got so much more behind that. Right. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, I, I oh, know. <laughs> I know that I have things that are way more problematic than that glass of wine for you. And and I I think that's, that's part of the challenge, right. Of our vulnerability in these spaces. When we, we get into this zone of of conversation, 
I think that's what we see and that's what makes this process so terrifying is that, you know, for the LGBTQ the LGBTQ community, right, where the scapegoats of of uh, modern morality right now, um, yeah. you know, in recent times. And I, I think that's part of the progressive movement of Christianity. I think, you know, we can look at the LGBTQ community and go, you're mad at you're mad at them and calling them sinners or, you know, uh, heathens or uh, heretics because of that experience. Well, I can see other things that are, what are you going to say about me when you get to me? Right. <laughs> you know, I think that's, I think a lot more people are starting to relate to that. But then, you know, for those of us who grew, grew up in the church, then how do you, how, once you awaken to that experience, then what comes next? Because your faith is kind of informing that process, but you're like, man, when, when your um, when your fellowship becomes a threat, that's mm-hmm. a real question, you know? And so it, and it becomes challenging too to be able to say, "Wow, my faith community is actually acting in sin against me," <laughs> like, yeah. and you become the the rebel in the process. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a wild ride. I'll say that much. When it rains or it shines on this pillow of mine, I will lift up my head to the sky, so I have a chance to see where my hope has come. I totally wanted to be a Christian, a CCM superstar. Like that was my absolute high school dream. I wrote my high school thesis on it. I, I like. You need some highlights in your hair. Oh yeah, it was. I no, I, I did. did I had. You? Yeah, I was, I was totally aiming for this life. Um, I wrote like all my favorite artists during our. We had like, I went to a Christian school and we had a week where you had to go like shadow. The, you know the career that you wanted so I wrote to everybody <laughs> I think Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote me back Aww. and then uh Jenny Varnado who I oh, have... yeah she's pretty awesome is she good yeah. I, I only knew the I, one I, album like in my memory I've met her a couple I think I met her a couple times my yeah. memory of her was pretty good <laughs> <laughs> anyway I don't think I actually got to shadow anybody I think I just ended I, up at a, at I a think church, if but... you had wrote me that letter I might have written you or maybe you did but um I don't know if I did if if I'd ever seen a letter like that at a at a time that I would have responded, I probably would have sweat and went, "No, don't do it, <laughs> no way." Because Get it's like, out. here's the thing, though. Here's the thing about that, right? Is like, for most of the people that I hung out with in CCM, it's it's not that we weren't serious about that. We just felt like sh- like for me at the end of it, I felt like a charlatan. Yeah. Because I knew that if somebody came onto my bus or came into my house and saw the way I was as a real life human being, right. I couldn't live up to what mm. I was being marketed as. Yeah. Right. And even though like what I was, I wasn't lying about my faith experience. I, everything that, you know, I feel like as an artist, like the thing that allows me to keep walking up on stage is the integrity I have with my music. I, like I didn't write anything that wasn't true for me. Mm. Um, and if it's not true for me anymore, I just don't play it. I'll, and yeah. I'll tell you like that. I'm not playing that song. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, that was a terror. I mean, it was absolutely a terror for me that people would walk in and because it, it would break my heart. You know, I think that's the terror is that that I knew that people would look at me, you know, at 25, 26 years old, that people would look at me and think that I had failed at something that meant a lot to me yeah. um, and thought, would would say of me. And I think even as a as a gay person, even, you know, a few years on that even though I was ready to do that in a lot of respects, that was, that was kind of the, the gauntlet that you have to run through when you come out in the church for a lot of people, that's the thing that you have to do is put yourself in a position where people are going to absolutely call you a failure at something that means a lot to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And to it's, I don't, I mean, I don't even know how to explain that. You know, if, if somebody said, you know, if somebody, if Simon Cowell from America's Got Talent came up to me and said, I should never play another note, you know, again, I would, you know, now I would probably just tell him to, you know, get a rat up, of, get a rat up him. But <laughs> that's a nice little endearing like term for you. <laughs> get a rat up. Yes, yeah. Simon Cowell. But if I was if I was insecure and if I was in my twenties and somebody had said to me, "Don't dream and you're done here," Mm. yeah, I I shudder to think what that would do. And that's that's for me in terms of you know the LGBTQ community, the coming out process. You know, every you can't assume that somebody in coming out has has the foundation set up for their person. Often Mm. coming out is is the first step to claiming who you are. The, the, the first step in saying, wow, like I do not have the foundations of knowing myself the way I need to know myself. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to start building this here. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that underscores for me that the tragedy of our faith communities, not inviting the stories as the stories and the experiences of our LGBTQ community, because it's, it's so utterly destructive, um, like on a, on a compassionate level to life and, and to, to persons in their wholeness. Mm-hmm. Boy, yep. man, uh, the, <laughs> we're like, yep. No, I'm just yeah. feeling that. I'm yep. feeling that a lot. Feeling that the happens that. like way too much recently when I've been talking. Like I talk for <laughs> two or three minutes, and then people go, "Yeah, <sighs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so good." That's when it's you know you're hitting it. Cure, actually. No, like, oh god, it's so good. You're tapping oh, into something. Oh crap! I did it again. Like I oh, have, a, be quiet. I have a, a question that's potentially awful um (laughs) but I'm gonna ask it anyway so like I feel like for people who are content creators and who create content that is public and then go through kind of a a deconstruction and a reconstruction all of that I'm always curious like how do you feel about Kansas being out there in the world still like how how do you manage the feelings because it's it's complicated right because you look back at that person and you are obviously at a very different point in your life like, is there a process for you around framing the way that you think about that in the world? Yeah. Um, I thought of like six really complex ideas. I'm going to try and whittle down. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I am part of it. I think as a content creator, the, the first thing I think about is the responsibility. Hmm. Um, and the reason why I say that is is kind of trapped is is linked to the Kansas record, because uh, 
when you create something and you put it out into the universe, like you've created something, right? you know, Kansas is, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. Um, and I don't, I don't, you know, I, I didn't know that that was going to make an impact. I'm shocked that it's made an impact and I've gone through seasons where I wish it would die and it never mm -hmm. existed. And on the other hand, like that's a crime that I would, I've gone through and I would say now that that's a crime that I would even say that. Yeah. Because I know that there are people that that has meant a lot to. Um, so what I would say is that at a certain point, part of that responsibility is realizing um, not just the consequences, but understanding that as a content creator, once that content goes out, it becomes a public property. Hmm. And it has a portion of you in it, perhaps. So what do you want to do when you put a portion of yourself into something that now exists out of your control and in the public domain. Um, that's a very serious thing to kind of consider. And I think, you know, how one responds to that, I don't, I don't necessarily have a playbook for it. Yeah. But those are, those are kind of the two major things that, that I actually think challenge, challenge my creativity now probably more than anything. So now that I've said that uh, and I'm talking out loud, I think, oh my God, don't listen to a word that I'm saying because it'll ruin your art. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, but, but be, well, here's the thing. Like, if you, if you put that process ahead, if you put that process as a content ahead of what you're doing or in the room while you're trying to create, like for me personally, I it shuts down my creative process. Yeah. So sure. the strange thing is, is like even though that those are outcomes, that's probably the last thing that I think of. So when I'm in my room and I'm creating, I actually try and shut all of that stuff out and damn the consequences and write everything and say everything. And even if it sounds perverted or awful or terrible, I write it um, and I let that go. And then you move on to the next step. You know, for me, like I, like I really do have a problem with people who try and, and create art just to be destructive for the sake of being destructive. I, I just, it, people will do it. But for me, like I have a really high sense of what, what I put out into the world. I want it to generate life. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think if there's a lesson, like kind of looking backwards, you know, I got really lucky. Kansas has meant a lot to people in their lives. Yeah. And it's, it's taught me that, you know, there's something really amazing when you're willing to put your vulnerability into your work. Um, there's something very costly about sharing that in public. So, you know, how you do that really matters. Um, but I'm still here and I'm still creating. I think that's the challenging thing, but I really care about that. And I think as a content creator, yeah, you've got to, you've got to think through, you got to get to those spaces that are safe for you to be able to do the reckless things. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to be able to, I think the, at least the artists that I respect get to a certain point where they're saying, okay, now, now it's the filtering process that I go through right? Yeah. How do I do that and keep it genuine without taking the life out of it and keep it honest and not sell something to somebody? It's, that's, to me, that's when you're really starting to get in the craft of being a creator. Yeah. I love, I lo what I'm thinking as you're saying this that I love is like, I mean, for me, where I'm at now, the stuff that you're writing recently resonates for me and that's what I need now. I need, I need that. I need that honesty, but I needed Kansas. You know, I needed that at the beginning of, of my journey. Like I needed mm -hmm. that phase too. And as you're talking, I'm just thinking about like, I couldn't, I couldn't be this girl who needs what you're doing now if I hadn't been that girl who needed 
what you were doing then. I needed her to get to you. And even I'm, you know, going internal and thinking about my own writing. And I'm like, oh, man, I needed that piece that I wrote out there that I sort of hate still floats around the internet. But yeah. like, <laughs> but somebody, in order That's to get where cool. I am now, maybe needs to be that girl right now who resonates with that piece in order to get here. Because we're all just on, you know, it's that you can't drag yeah. anyone into Nirvana, right? Like, this idea everybody has to go through their journey. But the great thing about being alive in 2018, too, is that we do get to see where people are now. So like, you yeah. know, somebody wrote something 20 years ago, we, we can look that person up and know what their story is. And and so like, for me, Jen, like the, um, there's like an arc to that. Like Kansas was beloved in, in it, in, in its day for me. And now I can go back to it and listen to it. And it's the same way that like, so we we're part of a church here in San Diego. I'm, I'm, it's a real like complicated thing to break down. We just I'm call not, it a I'm, unicorn. We just it's call it a unicorn, unicorn church. <laughs> I'm not a Christian. I don't believe that my salvation comes from a resurrection of, of Jesus or anything and like that. We lead but, worship every Sunday. But we lead worship there. We lead music there. I know, it's weird. Um, uh, a very universalist church of some kind, or a unicorn, whatever. I'm yeah, kidding. exactly. It yeah. calls itself a progressive Christian church. It's complicated, but... Yeah. Somehow I still find myself there. We like week. it. We, we, it's good people. That's my, what it comes down to. My favorite way of describing Sojo is that Matthew and I were the two people doing music the same Sunday that our sex episode that was called Toys and Butt Stuff released. So we had <laughs> our faces and like the you toys and butt stuff see thing. my mouth totally wide open. Yeah. Right <laughs> and, oh and then God. it was like, and hello, welcome to Sojourn Grace. We're going to sing about Jesus. And like, I felt like that was a perfect position. it all belongs. That's, it all belongs. That's one of the tenets. It all belongs. <laughs> Even toys and butt stuff. There's a place for us to talk about that. But what I, what I love about that um, like one of my favorite things is to go back and dig up some of the hymns that are like still in my bones that, you know, I, I just grew up with. I know the melody, I know the lyrics, um, but I may not have sung them for 10, 15 years. Uh, I dig them up and find what, what is still there. Like what, what sift through it all and what, what stays, um, you know, wheat and chaff, whatever metaphor you need. And, and we do actually a lot of rewriting of some of the old hymns. You know, we, we degender everything and, um, Anything that talks about blood, forget it. That's out. Um, blood, but, <laughs> blood always gets traded to love, and it actually it, usually works. Yeah, it's great. It, it, although I, you you use I use the word blood actually fairly not frequently, but a couple times in your songs, Jen. Um, anyway, all I'm trying to say is there is something really cool about being able to excavate that stuff. Um, remember, because it triggers certain very specific memories and feelings from that time that are so easy to like suppress and forget. And then have this very redemptive moment to see that, um, like, maybe the person who wrote it has also been on a journey that in so many ways can reflect your own, uh, you can resonate, you can appreciate um, who they were then and who they are becoming now and the work that they're putting out into the world now. I just, it's so nice for me sometimes now to go back and listen to some of the old (laughs) CCM stuff. Um, And I generally find it's, like, the female singer-songwriter, like, Sarah Mason, her stuff, like... She's awesome, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, your stuff. I mean, I just... I, that's... that's It's the women, I think... Who, and I think it's tied back to that... Um, you said it earlier, uh, Jennifer, about your story, like, not being able to, like, control your own story or write your own story in those... In, in Career 1.0, like, that. so much of that was kind of done for you. Like, I think there is this subversive line through a lot of um, people and women, anybody who... who wasn't able to maybe publicly do everything that they wanted to do. Like 
you write it in there. Like it's 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 in the music, it's in the lyrics, and it comes back out, and it's beautiful to to rediscover sometimes. So that's what I love about going back and listening. And to music. I I love that you're talking about um, like going backwards in redemption because it's it's really hard to arrive at redemption without memory. Mm. Yeah. But you know, like like one of the analogies that I've I've used a lot recently is like imagining like I've worn a lot of outfits that I've been photographed over time and fortunately like I didn't grow up in the I didn't have a lot of photographs taken in the 80s where it was like ripped denim and big hair right and but if I I do have a senior picture I should pull out some time and give to people you know sometimes when you look back into the past and you see a photograph of yourself and you go oh my god what was I wearing? And you're mortified by what you look like right now, right? Right. You, you look at it, you know, 10 years later or something, but you have to admit to yourself that on that day when you walked out the door, you were like, damn, I am yep. so sexy. Take a picture of this and print it for everybody. You know? Come on, Olin Mills. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I, I really want to resist making fun of that. Yep. Because on the day, on like you, I, I'm convinced that most of us know that, like, most of us know what we were thinking in those moments. Like, yeah, I was really sexy, or I was totally putting that on. I'm embarrassed about myself because I was pre- pretending to be somebody that I wasn't, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you're lucky, I suppose you have that narrative. But, you know, to be able to look back and say, this is, this is an honest thing about where I've been. And yeah, like, yeah, it was the 80s. <laughs> Or, you know, yeah, it was that, or yeah, I drank the Kool-Aid. You know, I talk about Christianity sometimes or my evangelical experience. I realized with a bit of, you know, def- comedic deflection to say that I drank the Kool-Aid. But the reality is, like, that was a massive paradigm shift in my life, and it was deeply meaningful. And it, you know, I don't know if it's altered the course of my life. I don't want to get into those kinds of conversations, but... It's in the memory of that. It's contributed to the person I am today, and it's. But it doesn't necessarily dictate my future, either. And so, what does that mean? And and to not, it's. I think probably one of the hardest things about me coming back to music, and my fear of coming out was my fear of being shamed about things that actually, things that I'd actually done, like. I, you know, I really had done Christian music and I, I really, the music that I put out really meant a lot to me. And I think the fear that I had and the anger that I had about, because there were some years there where I really didn't want to play it. And I was on the fence. It was utter shame of just saying, yeah, I did that sincerely at that time. And I cannot sing it the same way now. I just can't. And I don't know how, and I, here's the truth. I don't want to like, and so what does that really mean? And for me, like, the, for me, I just went, like, I, I just didn't do very well at being chicken about it. Like, I, I can, I'm just like everybody else. I spend time going, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. Let's not talk about it to the point where I can't not talk about it anymore. And I have to just turn and go, all right, you know, let's just deal with this. And, and, and for me, starting, starting to like kind of look back that, to those kinds of things and, and utilize memory and, and grace and looking back toward my own self and my own experiences was a really good part of that. But not to talk even further, but kind of one of the other things you were guys talking about was like, 
um, in terms of being able to bring that up with other people, like the community experience was a huge part of that redemption for me to, to go out and play shows where, where other people were coming up and saying, please don't take this song. Will you please play this song? This song is part of my memory. Now it is part of my process and you're the source. And if you can, would you please play it? You know? And I, hated people when they first started not hated but it hurt so hard to be asked to do that I didn't hate the people but it hurt really hard to do that um but when I started to do that and I started to send I think it was hearing somebody else tell me that story hearing somebody else say this is part of my memory and people are trying to take it away from me and I just decided I didn't want to be one of those people mm-hmm. and as an accident of that I learned that that other people were taking my memories away from me as well. And so it, it takes a lot of courage to step into those places, those community communal places. And that's why I deeply understand like why that doesn't, your unicorn church absolutely makes sense to me. Like that we have to collect our memory in those spaces and we have to share that journey together, whatever it means. And it, sometimes it, mean, it means rewriting music. Sometimes it means playing things that we thought we'd never play. And it means, you know, bringing the old and the new together in a new place that represents who we are. And that's, that takes a really safe environment to be able to do that in. You can touch but no, no truth of me Hold me in your arms but never see What did I show you on the surface? Still hide what's Can we can we title the episode that? Damn it, Jennifer Knapp made me me cry. cry. (laughs) That's perfect. Um, So then, maybe just to to wrap up, then can we talk about like where, like what is what does the future look like for you, and and where do you see yourself in the world of mm, spirituality, Christianity? I don't know, like however you want to talk about it, and then like um, I always love to get a sense of if there is a thing that you can talk about that you believe now. Um, like, what is that? Because for, for me, the, the whole heathen process is about like, well, there was a thing that I believed. I grew up believing it or whatever. At a point in my life, it was very, uh, you know, it defined me. And, and then I had to leave that belief. And so then like, what is there now? Is there anything left? Is there something new? That kind of thing. So maybe we can dive into some of that. <laughs> okay, for Which the is next such an easy minutes. question. I was going to say, yeah. So to wrap it up, <laughs> if you could up, just give us basically a like summary of and, your and, and existing to theology. Clear, to be clear, we've got all the time in the world. I'm just trying to be respectful of your time. So. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, future first. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm diving into um, the the nonprofit um, organization that I've that's kind of been a result of all this. It's called insideoutfaith.org. Um, so, and that's the website. 
Um, and yeah, we're largely trying to dive into LGBTQ uh, advocacy, affirmation, and spiritual environment. So uh, my go- my goal is to not just be like Christocentric, but be able to talk about the spiritual process at large. Um, th- you know, that's that's kind of my that's my co- contribution in, in terms of like the religious community. That's that's where I'm going to be kind of concentrating as an artist. Um, uh, I, I'm aware that I want to do a new record and I've got a few projects that I'm not going to talk about that I'm thinking about, but, um, I am touring this in the short term future. I'm touring this fall and doing a lot of shows, uh, largely East of the Mississippi, um, this fall, 2018 for those out West coast, you're going to have to wait till the spring. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. We'll be here. We'll be yeah, here. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. I can't do it no. all. Um, but yeah, that's that's the short term. And I forgot the other question that you asked already. But... <laughs> I think just uh, like any any oh the summary of you... belief kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, your entire personal theology. Yeah. If, if there is one. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, these days I just did a panel. I just did a panel this last week where everyone, you know, identify yourself. Like what, what are your identity labels? And, you know, I said, lesbian, but I lesbian, Christian, she, her and hers. Right. And, Mm and a musician probably in there somewhere, but I really am. I don't know what to do with that because it's such a, a, a box yeah, totally. Um, it's so constrictive because I don't get up every day and think, "Oh, I'm a woman. What I'm, go- what woman things am I going to do?" Or, oh, "I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> I do. I'm partnered with a woman. So, what am I going to do today that's predicated on all of that?" Or, um, but as far you know, theologically, the the thing I identify. So I, that's all to say is I, I use the label Christian because it's the best place to start. When I say to you, I'm a Christian, that should at least give you an idea that I'm responsible in this language, that I am competent. So that, that's kind of the, the next step that I take to that is, yeah, Christianity is the my 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 spiritual language with which I am most fluent. Um, it's the place that I go to. But that, you know, if if you try and get like, oh, yeah, I'm going to build a church or I'm doing, you know, these particular cultural and culturally anticipated things about what Christianity is, I think all bets are off. Like, I just don't know that I'm ticking, ticking the solid boxes for any one community that makes me the predictable Christian that I think people would have anticipated 10, 15 years ago. Um, but that said, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's a commitment that I'm willing to make to faith, community, and the and the way that I approach that is being competent in in my language of Christianity, mm-hmm. but not being bound to it to dictate how that spiritual language has. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how to do, you know I'm I'm in like one of the one of the greatest things for my faith actually was reading other people's traditional experiences. Like I started to read, you know I started to read works by other Muslim right by Muslim writers by Buddhists by, um, uh, you know, by other faith traditions, Jewish traditions, and to get especially Abrahamic faith and other people's take, you know, who use uh, the, the, the Bible 
um, to see other interpretations of that from other faith traditions. I mean, to get other people's perspectives is really helpful. It keeps me from being narrow in my own. And by having my own level of competency and my own experience gives me a foundation to participate in in being able to look toward the divine and, and participate spiritually and connect with community. So I, I, that's a long answer. I, I realize it's relatively untraditional that I didn't like list out the Apostles Creed, but uh, no, that's, that's fine. fine. Um, <laughs> Hello, heathen podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so it's still there, but you know, I, I just, I guess like always in the back of my mind, I, I feel, I never really feel like I've escaped the shadow of, of those people in my life that go, well, cause I know there are things that I believe theologically and, and things that I would put onto my table in that way that some people go, you're not even a Christian anymore. So yeah. Um, yeah. it's just, it's a strange thing to be in. Like, how do you, how do you maintain something when there are people around here going, you didn't, like, like I've never understood. Are you a mathematician because you don't, you know, you don't do astrology math? <laughs> like, right. yeah. You know, is there is there a point where somebody takes you, you know, your credentials away and your experience and your passions away because somebody doesn't like the formulas that you're using? And I, th- I think it's a really bizarre experience to kind of go through. Mm-hmm. That's strangely unique to uh, American culture of Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. There. I totally feel that. I, I I think one of the reasons I'm real just quick to put out there that oh no, not a Christian, like don't even have those expectations of me is because I don't I don't exactly that. I don't want the expectations there. I don't there's nothing I spent so much of my life living up to what I thought and it was always a moving target, right? Depending on what community you're in or even individually who you're talking to, what matters most to that person about their faith, but I just spent so much of my life trying to measure up and and be what I thought people wanted me to be that it's just easier in a way. And and, and I genuinely don't believe in, like, a physical resurrection and, like, a salvation atonement, like, all of that stuff. Like, that. that's not a thing that I need for my own spirituality. So I, it's not like I'm saying I'm not a Christian just just to, like, make yeah. it easier easier for me. But I will say that there's something nice about just... Oh, like, okay, then I don't, anything you say, I don't have to, I can take it with a grain of salt. Like if, if for coming from, if I'm talking to a Christian, like typically their perspective is either, well, I'm going to evangelize you or I just don't have to listen to you. Like (laughs) those are kind of the two. It's nice to be able to have the stiff arm. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. Exactly. So, and it's, it's just one of the questions I ask most guests because it's, it's a thing for me. Like, I'm like, well, what are you doing? How are you, yeah. how are you managing this and navigating what all of this? Cause it's, it? yeah. What do you call it? Yeah. <laughs> Cause but, I'm trying to figure it out. But you know, I, I, I think I'm accurate in saying like, you know, John, John Shelby, John Shelby Spong would have, I think wouldn't argue that you don't necessarily have to believe in a physical resurrection to be a Christian. Yeah. You know, those are those are kind of the, the interesting mm. things that why I, I still find you know Christian theology extremely fascinating. Like, yeah, we grew up in a world where Christianity meant believing in particular doctrinal positions, like literally and, just that, really. Like, yeah, and, and only just that, and maintaining this uh, particular narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things I appreciated by reading Spong, and there's another guy, he's an I think he's an agnostic. I think he's a Christian bishop from the Anglican Church, come agnostic. His name was Richard Holloway, H A L O, and uh, even as a bishop, came out as agnostic, if I believe mm. correctly. But wow. um, 
he he wrote a couple of books that I really appreciated. But what what Spong and Halloway did for me is realizing that helped me break the yoke of thinking that I was ever going to be able to tick off every box. Like for me and my doubt and my crit, my critique of things, it was just unsustainable to think that because I'm I'm not that kind of person. I'm just not the kind of person that goes about anything. Like I just never join any group and think I want to be conforming. Like I want to build something that grows and not necessarily have to prune it back to the point of killing it to see if mm. it survives. Like, yeah. so, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing that I think that a lot of Christians do face that, you know, if the resurrection is hard to believe in from an actual sign, you know, like that, that actually physically in reality happened, um, you know, people are out right away. But I think Joe, if you, I don't know if you've ever read any Joseph Campbell, Mm-hmm. Um, or heard any Joseph Campbell, you know, I think he he also as well reminds us the power of mythology and the participation of that and being able to understand what it means for us to be able to share our stories and what that means collectively. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, for the days that I theologically or, you know, kind of doctrinally struggle on specific issues, like, I think there are things inside of that, that sharing of that story that still resonate with me, that Christianity still helps, helps me understand and is, you know, mythology has, you know, sort of like rebellion. I think mythology gets a bad word. We've lost our imagination mm-hmm. in being able to imagine how, if if I can't believe this fact, then how do I imagine what this means the way somebody else wrote it down? Like, um, I, and I don't mean to slide it at all, but, you know, I, I'm very particular about when I use the word myth because people get really weirded out and think you're calling everything underneath of them a fantasy and those are two different words yeah definitely things would be a little easier without the voices in my head no telling which one's mine how I miss her like an old lover awkward and gentle and like no other I haven't heard from her in a long Time. You can't reminisce, but you can bring it back. Oh, we'll find our dreams littered on the path. And try something new and forget the For what it's worth, I'm going to take something that you said in that and use it as my qualifier now for every person I get into a Facebook conversation with. I'm going to be like, okay, are you competent in the language of your belief, but not bound to it? Oh my God. Great. Let's continue our conversation. That's <laughs> that is now, that is my bar. You must agree to these terms Ooh. and then we can go forward. <laughs> oh, I love like, it. I, you said that and I went, oh, that is the solution that I need. <laughs> that is the bar that I need to set. So gorgeous. Good stuff. You just changed my social media life. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Well, I, I think that's a pretty, like, when, once, I think once you realize, like, I think that's kind of my bar, too, like, just casually. You know, you're talking, you, you talk, you're getting a conversation with somebody, you're like, oh, my God, this this person's, like, totally talking shit. Like, they don't, <laughs> you're not, you know, you don't want to call somebody ignorant. It's just, it's competency. It's like, right. I know you're passionate about some. you know, I'm a pretty good guitar player, but I'm not, I know my limitations. You know, I'm not Eric Clapton. 
but you know, even as like a young professional musician, it was embarrassing to me as a woman to go up on stage and not know how to change the strings on my guitar. Like, yeah, I, you go up, you know how to do your craft and you know how to do your work. And if you're going to talk about it, you're going to be educated in it. And, mm. you know, I, I think that's, I, I think that's a thing that I'm expecting more and more. It's just like, especially in a new environment where everybody has a microphone now. Right. Like we all have it. At any given day, I think that's the freaky thing about the world now is any one of us could go viral tomorrow, Mm -hmm. any of us with an Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter account. And so that's kind of what I think. Well, what are you going to do with that? Like, why are you saying what you're going to say? Are you responsible for it? And, you know, do you really know what you're talking about? And if somebody asks me that some days, I'm like, oh, God, no, you're right. I don't. I should shut up. <laughs> okay. Gotta go. Right now. But for other things, you know, it's the, you know, it's not necessarily saying, hey, I know, but I, you know, I'm committed to competency. Yeah. And, and I think that that's part of that. I think that, you know, is, is a lost art. It's easier for all of us to poke and make fun of and say, hey, you don't belong here. But it's a lot harder to build and encourage things to grow than it is to just simply pull a weed. So. Mm. Yeah. Do the work, people. So good. Do the work. How can heathens do anything positive? Tell me that. <laughs> right? That's, that's the magic of it. Is no one me. expects us to. Yeah, just watch right. me. That's, that's all I got to say. That's what, that, that. I mean, our entire philosophy is just setting that low bar for expectation. It really like is. Blowing yeah. it out of the water. <laughs> Under promise and over deliver. That's the way to go through life. But, no, I, that's my motto. Yep, it's gonna be just fine. It's how we do. It's how we do. Oh, um, man. All right. Before we let you go, is there anywhere that you want to point people to online? Like, what should people be looking at when they they uh, look up what you're working on right now? Yep. Uh, well, always stop in at jennifernap.com. Uh, all the Twitter, Instagram stuff, all the social media feeds should be on there. And then we'd love it if, uh, for those of you who are interested in uh, LGBTQ advocacy and um, just generally putting a, you know, a good representation of, of faith issues and uh, LGBTQ issues, stop by insideoutfaith.org. And um, all of our, you know, social media and stuff, Facebook links, all that stuff should be up there. But, um, mm. yeah, those are uh, some really fun ways to see what I'm doing. Perfect. And a very solid follow as well. I will attest to that. Yeah. It's entertaining. <laughs> um, well, this has been so good. Thank you so much. Thank you so um, much. I'm just excited to see, like, what happens from here for you and just to continue to follow what you're working on. It's so cool to see things like uh, your the Christmas album and, and concerts that you do with uh, Margaret Becker, who is another another one that I grew up with, you know? Like, it's just so rad to see all of this stuff that had well, so keep, much resonance way back when still mattering. Well, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, Margaret and I have been meeting a couple times a week right now working on uh, some new little Christmas tidbits. <laughs> so there's yeah. some surprises uh, headed headed uh, this way this fall for uh, Christmas. But yeah, I've been doing Christmas stuff for like weeks now, so I'm already excited about Santa Claus and everything. But. You literally had Christmas in July. I just got July. excited about Christmas just right now. <laughs> now I'm excited about it. I'm ready. <laughs> Screw you, Summer. Well, you guys, I really, I really appreciate it. I appreciated you having a time and, uh, and hooking up over Twitter. I think that's how we got this podcast going, right? That's yep. right, yep. Yeah, that's <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm so glad you tweeted me. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, for- Jennifer. Bye, guys. Thanks. Till next time. 
Thanks for listening to Heathen. We're here every week. And in the meantime, if you miss us, you can find us in the following ways. Follow at Heathen Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us an email at askheathen at gmail.com, especially if you have feedback or ideas for future episodes. Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and that helps other people find Heathen. And if you'd like to contribute to this community for people who need a soft place to land as they move away from bad religion, you can support Heathen on Patreon at patreon.com slash heathen podcast. Well, thank you for your support with exclusive bonus content, which you know is going to be freaking awesome. Wherever you find yourself in this space of godless spirituality, spiritual godlessness, or anywhere in between, you're not alone. We're glad you're here. Here's to the heathens. Heathens.